Because there are certain Britishisms that I have that I'm like, I don't know why I, I have a Britishism. I know why I have Britishisms. It's because I watch way too much Brit TV. <laughs> you lived in London for six weeks. Brit box. <laughs> you lived in London for six weeks. You're, you know, you're half British. I'm, no, I'm not half British. I would never dare say I was half British because I'm not. Um, but I definitely... You have a lot of Britishisms. I have a lot of Britishisms. <laughs> I have no business having any Britishisms, though. It is because, like, I watched the entirety of Merlin, like, eight times through. And Sherlock and Doctor Who and... <laughs> Hi there, neighbors. Welcome back to The Next Town Over. I'm Carson Costa, and I'm here with my co-host, Nicole Bennett. Hey. Before we get started, we will not be posting an episode next week, because <laughs> I'm flying back to the States. She's leaving me! You'll be fine. It's a week. Okay. Uh, but we will be back the week after on February 7th. So keep an eye out for that episode, but don't panic when there's nothing next week. Because we know that you're all... Waiting with bated breath. Waiting with bated breath. Yeah, you pop onto your uh, podcast host first thing in the morning on a Tuesday and look for our our episode. It's a vital part of your Tuesday morning. Oh yeah, so don't, don't worry, we will be back. Today we're talking about culture shock and what it means for an increasingly globalized world. So, start with what is culture shock? Because I think that many people might not know what culture shock is. Because I certainly wouldn't have any idea if it hadn't been specifically taught to me. I first learned about it as a Rotary Youth Exchange student, mainly because they have a very intensive orientation process and uh, they really try to prepare you. So culture shock was a major part of that orientation and that preparation process. Um, so I distinctly remember learning about it for the first time then, and I think if I hadn't been taught about it through that program, I would have no idea that culture shock even existed. I feel like I kind of had a vague understanding of what culture shock was, but it was much more of what they showed in Hollywood where someone goes somewhere foreign and things are just done differently and just the shock of that, not necessarily all the other aspects that go into culture shock. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Many, many people probably have no idea that this is a thing or that it exists or that there's a name for it or that it's a phenomena that has been researched and tracked. And, you know, they might see some of the those tensions in Hollywood movies like you said, but they probably have no idea what it really is or how it can affect them personally. Right. And I think that it's really important because it's not just international travel. I mean, it can apply... Anytime you're experiencing a culture different than what you're used to, Mm -hmm. Um, even subcultures within your broader culture. Here's the definition from Merriam-Webster. A sense of confusion and uncertainty, sometimes with feelings of anxiety, that may affect people exposed to an alien culture or environment without adequate preparation. I know I kind of disagree with that last part there because I think you can prepare and still feel culture shock, still experience it. Because there's a certain element of encountering a new culture that you're just never going to be able to fully prepare for because you don't know what that experience is going to be like because you haven't experienced that culture before. You can read about it all you want, but until you're plopped down in the middle of it, you can't know all the smaller, intricate ways or how you'll react to it. Right. You can theorize how you'll feel about seeing certain things and, you know, riding a tram for the first time. It can still be nerve-wracking no matter how many times you've read about it. You can feel prepared and also feel completely unprepared at the same time. Yeah. So I kind of disagree with that last bit of that definition. But anyway, that's what Merriam-Webster calls it. So there you go. You have an official definition now. Ta-da! There is a very prominent history of culture exchange. I mean, it's been happening since the beginning of time, right? Like, particularly... When you think about the origins of humanity hunter-gatherers, where they had to migrate to find food, right? So you're going to come up against different groups with different cultures way back in the beginning. And then that just continues with the establishment of trade, uh, with exploration, with war, colonization, and many other ways as well. Even slavery Mm -hmm. is a form of culture exchange, which obviously was a very black mark in history. And you think of refugees as well, um, or like the mass exodus of Jewish people during World War II when they're trying to escape the Holocaust. Uh, So 
there's a lot of reasons why culture exchange happens and not all of it is good or pretty, but there's definitely a lot to be gained from the exchange of cultures and from experiencing other cultures. In our increasingly globalized world, I think it happens more and more. Yeah, I think that war and refugees aside, I think in a general sense, it is a very good and healthy form of um, information exchange. Mm. Um, especially with the way that the internet works and how we have such instant contact with people all over the place. We have the ability to exchange things at a rate that we've never had before. And it can be art and experiences and food and other aspects of our culture that we can share and experience together while being on other sides of the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the internet is making it easier and easier to kind of find yourself within a culture that you're unfamiliar with because you can slip into a corner of the the internet that primarily caters to people in a completely different corner of the world than you get that experience without even leaving your couch. (laughs) Yes. Which, again, it's not going to be the full experience because we were talking about that earlier with not being able to prepare fully for travel and what it's really going to be like to be in the midst of that other culture. But a lot of these aspects of culture shock, I notice, are shared with other kinds of um, sort of self-realization. We'll talk more about that later. Some of the earliest sort of formal cultural exchange was through the ancient university of Texilla, is what it's called frequently. But the actual name, which I'm totally going to butcher, is Taxasila. And uh, this is in modern-day Punjab province of Pakistan, near the Indus River. This university was functional for around 800 years. And I found various dates on when it, when it opened, uh, but somewhere in the realm of 700 to 500 BCE, before Common Era. So this was considered the first major university worldwide. And it hosted more than 10,500 students from all over the world. (laughs) Yeah. Well, all over the known world at the time, obviously. It's now a UNESCO World Heritage Site, but the important part there is that it's drawing people from all around the world to one location where there is this intense cultural exchange happening. This experience of culture shock will, will have been an integral part of the human experience for literally thousands of years at this point. But it really didn't start getting researched until after World War II. Mm -hmm. And the term, there's some credit issues here. A lot of people give credit for the term culture shock to Calervo Oberg, but I actually found an earlier use of it in a few sources saying that Cora Dubois, who is an American anthropologist, actually used the term several years, years earlier in 1951. And she gave credit to another anthropologist named Ruth Benedict. So a couple of women came up with this, but they gave credit to the man. Shocker. <laughs> and Calervo Oberg, he did do the research and establish the original understanding of culture shock and made it widely known in 1960, which is probably why he gets the credit, because he did the research. So <laughs> good for him. <laughs> Dang it. I know. Sucks. Come on, Cora Dubois. Could have gone in there, done the research, and been been the one, but no. And this Oberg fellow, he was a Canadian anthropologist who traveled widely and wrote about cultures in Uganda, Brazil, Alaska. And he was also a member of the Institute of Inter-American Affairs, which was the predecessor to the Agency for International Development. It was kind of the first time that we started looking at other cultures and how we could assist each other and learn from them and things like that on a governmental level. I kind of knew what he was talking about a little bit. Maybe. More research has been done since then, but I figured that we should have a spot to start from. And yeah, that's where we're starting from. And his definition that he came up with after doing some research into this was contact with or immersion in a different culture and loss of the safety net of predictable social roles, cures, and practices. Which I think is a really good definition. I, I know Merriam-Webster has a different one, but it, I think that loss of the safety net is really the, the key element here. And that's what drives the culture shock. Yeah, I agree. When I read the definition, I was like, that resonates quite a bit. Because mm-hmm. there are certain aspects of culture shock you can't quite put your finger on until you read the loss of safety net in those situations. And you're like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. 
because you might have a very small anxiety about going to a grocery store, even though you've been to a grocery store a million times, and the store isn't really very different from the one you have at home. But small things are different, and it gives you anxiety because you don't know how to go about that anymore. You have lost that safety net. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There's a lot of things that you do on a daily basis that feel so natural, and they're second nature. When you suddenly don't have that anymore, it, it's really startling and unsettling. And we talked a little bit about this on the Dave and Nancy interview episodes, that unsettling aspect where the culture is very similar in a lot of ways, but enough little things are different that it's just unsettling and it makes you feel a little bit off kilter. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we're talking about when it comes to culture shock. And I think that a lot of these symptoms, people experience them, but they don't necessarily attribute it to culture shock unless you know that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it can be really helpful to know, oh, the reason that I'm feeling this way and the reason that I'm experiencing these things is because of what I'm experiencing through this exposure to a new, new culture. So let's talk a little bit about the symptoms, which I think that we've both experienced <laughs> most of these. <laughs> so first one, fatigue and sleeping a lot. I don't know what you're talking about. I never do that. <laughs> Never. <laughs> no. What? Uh-uh. What? Well, I will fully admit to having that problem. Um, and I noticed this a lot in my exchange here in Germany as well. And I attributed it to the new language because when you're completely surrounded by the new language, you know, at home you're speaking the new language. At school you're speaking the new language. Everyone you talk to is speaking this new language to you that you don't understand you put so much energy into trying to understand that I attributed my fatigue and needing to sleep a lot to that specifically. But I'm experiencing it now, too. And I think part of it is that we're jumping between cultures. Yeah. And so it can be really difficult to keep everything straight, you know? And I think that attributes to the culture shock as well. I was thinking about that when we were doing our research on this, that... I wonder how much or how quickly you can recover from the symptoms and as you acclimate to your new culture, you know, each person is different, but how quickly does that happen? And does that change when you hop from place to place like we do? Even within Europe is a particularly westernized culture that we can identify a lot of things with, but there's still big differences. And we've been hopping around quite a bit the last couple of months. So we've yeah. not really allowed ourselves to acclimate and rest within the culture where you know that we've moved to which i think is why we have prolonged these some of these symptoms right yeah and i mean we'll talk about the timeline a little bit later too but i will say that um i don't even necessarily know if it's prolonged because i know that the cycle, and it is a cycle, it'll happen repeatedly um, until it's fully resolved. Uh, and the cycle can happen over the course of a few months or even a year. When the Rotarians were teaching us about this before going on Rotary Youth Exchange, they set it up, they showed us like month by month where we would predictably be within that cycle. And it was like, it was kind of two humps over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. And so each six month period being one cycle of the uh, honeymoon stage, the irritability, the gradual adjustment and the um, adaptation. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And so, you know, I, we're not even staying for a full six month period. True. And like, again, it could last the entire year. So I don't even necessarily know if it's, prolonged so much as we're hitting the restart button every couple months. <laughs> yeah. It sure feels like that sometimes when you're like, yeah. gosh, I thought I was over this. Well, time to move on to the next place. Yeah. Uh, so the second symptom, hyper irritability, which I saw an example online where if you go to buy bananas from like a fruit stall vendor and the fruit stall vendor turns to another vendor and says, these Americans, they just really love their bananas. And just something about that just 
causes you to feel like irritated or judged or persecuted in a way, mm-hmm. even though it's an innocuous state- statement. It's not a positive or a negative. It's just a thing. And so you kind of have an outburst and you're like, oh, no, well, uh, my cousin doesn't like bananas at all. And, you know, it's really not that big of a deal. And the Puerto Ricans love bananas way more than we do. And then you walk away and you're like, I don't even know if Puerto Ricans like bananas. Like, <laughs> you're like, where did that come from? Where did that come from? And so that sort of thing where because you're feeling tense and on edge, you can feel irritable all kind of out of nowhere and quickly. And um, it can cause you to have outbursts that afterwards you're thinking, why, why did I do that? Why did I feel that way? And I feel like I don't have outbursts by outbursts, but I've definitely noticed sometimes where some random statement or something will make me feel very irritable and kind of upset and angry and thinking about it. I don't even know why this is bothering me, but it's really bothering me. Yeah, I tend to experience that, especially going to the grocery store when, as we've said before, things are just slightly different in like every grocery store in each country. (laughs) And sometimes like, I'm doing my best and I'm sorry. And so when I see people out of look at me or like sometimes they glare because you didn't do the thing you're supposed to do. And I I just want to like, I just want to leave. I'm sorry. I just wanted cheese. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm not necessarily as irritable, but I am like hyper emotional and sensitive to some of their reactions to my existence in their space. Right. I'm like, right. I am trying so hard. The next symptom is depression or anxiety. And uh, I think that a lot of these symptoms are also symptoms of depression and anxiety. And so I think there's some overlap there. I think that they can also kind of be seen as independent symptoms on their own because you've mentioned to me some anxieties about like going to the grocery store and things like that. And I think that those are, you know, that's a culture shock symptom. Mm -hmm. And it's specifically that anxiety um, that's being caused by culture shock. Right. Right? Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. And that's one thing that I didn't necessarily know until I looked more into what culture shock is and the symptoms of it because... Mm -hmm. How would I know that my anxiety surrounding that is normal, given the situation and the circumstances? Right. And everybody experiences culture shock differently, too. So, like, I don't have that same anxiety about the uh, grocery stores. And so, also, like, when you were talking about it to me, you know, I I couldn't be like, oh, yeah, I've got that, too, because, (laughs) you know, I don't. And so it's, it's hard to, I think, assess exactly what is going on with with you and what is a a symptom of the culture shock when you don't have all the tools at your disposal, the understanding of culture shock to be able to make those assessments. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, you can have physical symptoms such as feeling ill, gastrointestinal disorders, pain without obvious physical causes. Not to get too TMI, but I definitely had the some gastro, gastrointestinal adjustment problems when we first got to Europe. Whereas I didn't, which is, which also threw us for a loop because, you know, we ate out at most of the same places and ate the same things. And when she would feel sick and I wouldn't, we're like, what? Why? Yeah. We're drinking water from the same tap. We're, you know, eating at the same places. We're cooking most of the same meals that we eat together. Weird when you first get to a country to immediately just fall sick. (laughs) You're like, why am I sick right now? There's no obvious reason for me to be sick. And I've had that problem kind of my entire life, I think, because when I was a kid, we used to joke I was allergic to vacations (laughs) because every time we went on vacation, I would get some sort of sickness in some way, shape or form. Oh, that's so not fair. Oh, I know. So that's just been a common trend in my life. And I remember when I got to my exchange year, I was sick for like a month and not like majorly sick, but just not feeling well sick for a solid month and we were so confused as to what why I was sick and another physical symptom is hair loss or skin ailments so if you start getting weird rashes for no apparent reason or your hair starts falling out at a race rate that it normally doesn't those sorts of things other type of stress-induced physical ailments. Mm -hmm. Because it is. It's stressful to be in a new culture. Negative feelings towards the host culture. Uh, So when you start really getting into the reads of culture shock, 
you start feeling like, oh God, we just do everything better back at home. You know, this place doesn't know how to do things properly. I hate the way they do this. I would really rather just, you know, do it this way instead. Not having a clothes dryer has been really rough for the both of us. Yeah. Like we've gotten better, but there's something in the back of our minds going, gosh, I wish I had a dryer. Yeah. Like, yes, clothes, you know, on the rack. Why do these people not have dryers? Like, yes, it's yeah. it works, but... Like, laying your clothes out on the line is fine, but we do it better. Yeah. Yeah, and those sorts of feelings of um, negativity or, like, one way is better than the other, those are definitely a culture shock symptom. Or symptoms, or or symptoms, our experience with coffee when we first got here. Why (laughs) is all the coffee so small? Yes. And now, like, I don't know, when we were out in Dubrovnik and last couple of days that we've had, like, some of the bigger cappuccinos, I'm like, oh my gosh, this cappuccino is huge. I wouldn't have said that six months ago. No. I still would have been like, that's the tiniest cappuccino I've ever seen. Yeah. And now I'm like, wow, it's like a double. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) It's like five ounces instead of four. Oh, my. (laughs) Luxurious. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if I can finish this whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. No, No, I'm never saying that. Uh, Self-doubt, disappointment, regret. Uh, So if you start thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? Why did I think this was a good idea? Uh, feeling disappointed with your experience, thinking, oh, like, I thought this was going to be different. I thought it was going to be more magical or, you know, I thought that I was going to be having more adventures, regretting your choice, all those sorts of things. Um, other symptoms are like boredom, withdrawal, um, increased shyness. One thing that, I don't know, whenever I've talked to a lot of expats, they say that life is the same. Life mm. goes on wherever you are. So even though you think like, oh, you know, I'm in a new fantastical place, you'll still get bored because you, that's how life goes. Those things happen and you feel, I should be having adventures all the time because I'm in some new crazy awesome place. Mm-hmm. And that with that boredom, you'll withdraw and you'll be shy because it's more effort to go out and make friends and interact with other people. And all the other you know, anxieties and the hyper irritability or sleep all adds up and it can increase a lot of your it can decrease your willingness to interact in your new environment. Right. Um, and I think it goes a little further, too, with because I was some of the reading I was doing, one of the articles was for host parents noticing culture shock, shock symptoms in, their, in the exchange that they're hosting. One thing I said was you notice that when they arrived, they were excited to do things. They were excited to see things. They wanted to go out. They were doing, you know, they were in the honeymoon phase, and they were excited and eager and trying new things and then all of a sudden they've drawn back from that and they seem bored they're not as interested in doing things and so it's not just the life goes on but it's also the when that culture shock settles in and you start feeling like you withdraw and you slip into this sort of boredom and apathy where you don't want to participate as much or you're avoiding going out uh, you're afraid to meet new people because you don't know how to communicate in the language, things like that. Right, and all those things can add to another symptom of feeling isolated or helpless and lonely because you are withdrawing and you're feeling anxiety around certain aspects of your new culture and depressed for the doubt and the disappointment and the regrets you may have. It all can feel very heavy and lonely. Yeah. Well, and you're... You start to have this sensation of the odd man out because you're the foreigner. And so you are surrounded by these people who they speak this language. This is their culture. They fit and you don't. And it feels very isolating. Longing to be back home, homesickness, nostalgia. I think those are pretty self-explanatory. And then inability to be present or trouble focusing are is the last... Now that we kind of know what culture shock is and what it looks like and how to recognize it, uh, let's talk about models of culture shock. Now, the original model from Oberg was four stages. Honeymoon, crisis, recovery, and adjustment. Yes. And the honeymoon stage is when you first arrive, everything's awesome and exciting and you're good and you're anticipating everything. Uh, You maybe even idealize the culture. Yeah, all the small things that you're not used to are quaint and cute and quirky. 
that like the laundry on the line. Oh, how fun. Yes. Uh, and then you hit crisis, which is when all of those symptoms we were just talking about really hit and they weigh on you and you start to feel it's confusing and the systems are frustrating. Um, laundry. It was cute and now it's not. And dang it, my country does it better. Yeah. All those aspects start to really build up and you find that chunk of resentment towards your new host culture. Yeah. You're feeling all these bad feelings and uh, you're not comfortable and you start to blame it on the host culture. Right. Yeah. Uh, recovery is when you kind of start to deal with this. You start to get used to the new ways of doing things. It gets easier. Gradually feel a little bit more settled, a little more at home. Yeah. And the final stage is adjustment or adaptation um which is when you you've reached that point where you feel that new sense of belonging right where you feel like you fit uh and this has been developed into a u-curve shape so you think about it like being on the top of a roller coaster and you as you go down you plummet and then you gradually come back up to the next pinnacle and um I've seen this described as a W as well, uh, either because you go through multiple U's, yeah, multiple cycles, multiple U's within the time abroad, or because it includes uh, yeah, reverse culture shock. Reverse culture shock, yeah, because it includes reverse culture shock, which actually reverse culture shock hit me a lot harder um, coming home from my exchange year. That hit me really, really hard. <laughs> So, hit me like freight train. Yeah, and I think culture shock in general is like that word people recognize, but. Reverse? Thank you. I was like, wait. <laughs> but reverse culture shock isn't talked about as much. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until being on this trip and looking into culture shock and reverse culture shock that I found out that when people return home after adjusting, like they think, They'll be able to just jump back into their own culture without any issues. Turns out it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Um, and you go through the, uh, the same curves, the crisis, and everything else as you do in the initial culture shock. Yeah, and particularly that sense of isolation, that was probably the worst symptom for me for a reverse culture shock. And I think part of that was because I became so close with the other exchange students you know, you're you're all in this situation together where you're all experiencing the same kind of points of culture shock as you go through it. So you all really support each other. Um, you already have this really big thing in common when you meet. And so you form these really, really tight bonds really early on. And I was in a position where I was close to Berlin. So I was very close to a lot of other exchange students. And I I mean, I got so attached to them, they felt like extensions of myself, you know. And then returning home, and all of a sudden, none of those people are there anymore. And I remember feeling so isolated and alone. And I remember the first time that I hung out with friends from high school again, I remember sitting there and thinking, I am a completely different person than I was when I left. And I do not know how to be in this group anymore. I don't know how to relate to any of these people anymore. Yeah. I remember when you came home and we were all hanging out, there were certain things that culturally had happened in the States that we were all talking about. And we're like, you know, we tried to include you in the conversation and you had no idea. And we're like, oh, well, how do we describe this? There were just a couple. I don't remember. It was like 2014. I don't remember. Anyway, I, like, I don't know. I kept track of what was going on in the States while I was gone. I mean, there were there were maybe some small local things I didn't know That's about. That's more of what I meant. More, like, um, small local cultures. But I distinctly remember, like, seeing the news about various, like, shootings and things and feeling, like, bad for not being there, almost, because my country was going through this time of crisis and I wasn't there and the people around me didn't didn't understand or it wasn't vital for them, you know? Yeah, I meant more, like, on the memes level oh okay like right. really like teenage culture parts like the okay. jokes that we right. had running now the things that small i don't know something yeah. happened at an award show and that i definitely remember like the the 
the there was lingo and stuff that I was like, what does that even mean? What is happening right now? Yeah, and I remember a couple of us trying to like think back, like, where did that start? How do we start to explain that at one award show, like someone stumbled and it just started a whole like a mass effect of like avalanche of jokes and like that's how we got to this one. Yeah. And we're like, oh, I can't even express. And so we just dismissed it because yeah. we couldn't explain to you yeah. what had happened. Yeah. Not No, not like the big cultural thing. No. I know you were very aware. <laughs> I meant like the really small stupid shit okay. that, you know, 19-year-olds care about. Right. Normal yeah. 19-year-olds care about. And I think that was the, the thing, too, was that I'd, you know, I'd gone to Germany and had these experiences where, like, one day school was canceled because they found an unexploded bomb next to the road or near the road that the bus had to take to get to school. That And this was, like, halfway through my year. So we'd been driving past this thing for six months already. And um, it had been there since World War II, you know? <laughs> so, um, and it had, obviously nothing had happened yet, but, like, they were like, well, we deal with this, and school's canceled. And then going to a concentration camp and seeing that firsthand... Um, talking to, like, the exchanges from Venezuela about, like, their country, which, um, I don't know, I honestly haven't been keeping up with that situation, so I'm not sure exactly where it's at now, but I know at the time things were pretty tumultuous. Um, or the exchanges from Taiwan about their relation, their country's relationship with China, you know, and the kind of fear there that one day China was just going to be like, eh, you're ours again. Because Taiwan's very, very small. If China decided to do that, there's nothing that they could do. <laughs> um, that their entire lives could change in an instant. And that's just something that hangs over their heads. Um, so I went on this year-long exchange where I had all these experiences. That then I came back and, like, my friends from high school were still, you know, making the same dumb jokes. Or, like, there, there were new memes that I missed. And I was like, I really don't, I couldn't care less about the memes that I missed. You know? And um, so it was very, very hard to readjust, and I felt so isolated and so alone. And I think that um, contributed to a lot of my struggles the next few years after that. So, yeah, the, the reverse culture shock was rough, and that's why <laughs> this is often shown as a W, mm-hmm. because you have the periods, uh, the stages of culture shock while you're there, and then you come home, you have to go through it all over again. So... It's almost like an insult to injury, like, you know, especially when you're in the crisis and you're having symptoms of culture shock. And one of those things is nostalgia for home. Mm. You get back home and you have to re-go through all the culture shock again. (laughs) Yeah. What a load of crap. Yep. So the, uh, the other major model is the ABC model, which basically just breaks it down into kind of three categories of culture shock. Uh, There's the effective, which is emotional appraisal of life changes and cross-cultural adjustments. Uh, So all those emotional feelings of loneliness, nostalgia, the hostility, irritability, all that. Uh, Behavioral, which is cultural learning and the process by which the sojourner learns the social skills, behaviors, and attitudes of the new culture. And so that's learning the language, um, practicing the new way of doing things at the supermarket, all those sorts of things. And cognitive is the identity conflicts that often plague cross-cultural travelers. So as you start to adapt to the new culture, you have this sort of conflict of, well, who am I and how do I now fit into the world with this new identity? And that's kind of why I feel like this applies to a lot more than just travel, because I see that happening to, I mean, all all sorts of young adults that are learning something new or discovering something new about themselves, trying to reconcile the identity of who they've always been with who they are becoming. Especially in like a religious or political shift. Yeah. And not to say that, you know, these people are going through complete... I'm trying to say, like, it's not like they're leaving behind, like, what they had learned and they're going to complete other opposite side of the, you know, right. the spectrum. Right. But they're... Well, it's not like flicking a switch, right? It's not like you just turn off who you were before and... Suddenly you're someone new. Suddenly you're someone new. 
those pieces always exist. And so then it's the, the reconciling that and figuring out who you are now as a, as a compilation of everything you've been before and everything you're becoming. Yeah. It's all about growth. All about growth. And that can be very, very difficult and it can cause a lot of conflict, internal conflict. And you can experience all these symptoms of culture shock when you're going through that kind of change. Yeah. Yeah. Even moving from like, you know, the West Coast to the East Coast. Mm-hmm. I intend on moving to the East Coast when this is over and I am doing my best to prepare for the A, culture shock of moving to the East Coast and B, the reverse culture shock of moving back to the States. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> So those are kind of the two major models. And like we said, um, it's not really one straight shot. It can cycle sometimes for years before fully resolving. And some people are more prone than others. So your experience is going to be truly unique to you. Uh, how long your cycle takes, whether it's you know three weeks or six months, uh, how many times you have to cycle through it, that's going to depend on a lot of different aspects. Uh, I think I'm pretty prone to culture shock because... <laughs> Like I said, I've had some pretty intense culture shock experiences. Um, I don't. What? What do you? How do you feel? I think I've come out of this better than I expected. Um, anticipation was definitely a lot higher than I expected. I mean, I miss my family and I miss home, mm-hmm. but I feel I've settled in pretty well. Aside from the smaller anxieties that I experience. Um, and I think part of that could be because we're moving around so much that we don't have the same, I don't know. Hang on. I was, cause I was half reading this. Mm-hmm. Um, the length of a person's, ex- you know, travel experience in the culture, um, can also change, you know, based on their self-awareness and the length of time they stay in that culture. We're not staying, in any one place for very long. So mm-hmm. like you said, we're hitting that reset button. Yeah. And so the initial parts of that culture shock may not hit me in the way that they hit you, mm-hmm. but I'm not getting to the point of gradual acceptance or adjustment. I'm not getting to the point of gradual adjustment and settling into the new culture. Yeah. I haven't hit that point yet. So all I'm doing is the honeymoon and beginning of the crisis phase before we're moving and yeah. starting over. Which I feel like it's nice in some ways because we start hitting the crisis phase and then we just go somewhere else and get to honeymoon all over again. Um, but at the same time, it it's kind of a downside as well because we never get to that point where we're fully immersed in the culture and really feel like we've adapted to it and have assimilated. Yeah. So I felt pros and cons. I felt decent in Zagreb, but that's mostly because I had created a schedule and friends mm-hmm. a friend group in Zagreb, but it's not because I joined the Croatian culture. I made friends with a bunch of other expats. Right. And so we formed our own little bubble within the Zagreb community. Yeah. Which helped. I did feel, you know, I do miss Zagreb and I want to go back and see my friends again, mm-hmm. but it's not the same as belonging in that culture. Yeah. So, um, there's this article by Goldstein Keller uh, titled U.S. College Students Lay Theories of Culture Shock. And they discuss a variety of aspects that may make pe- some people more prone to culture shock than others. And those include self-efficacy, openness to experience, ethnocentrism, foreign language interest, and cross-cultural competence. So the more that you've experienced crossing cultures, the more that you've had that practice and you've gotten used to doing that. Um, I think that that's also something that develops more easily as a child. So if you frequently moved as a child, you probably have a pretty high cross-cultural competence. Foreign language interest, obviously being willing and able to learn the language can make your experience a lot easier. Ethnocentrism, so how, how, how focused you are on your own ethno ethno experience or like the the ethno experience of people within your bubble. Basically, are you uh, assessing 
the standards and practices of the foreign culture based on the standards and practices and preconceptions of your own culture? Or are you being more open-minded about it? Uh, openness to experience. So are you pretty set in your ways or are you pretty willing to, you know, get out and try something new, do things differently? And leave that judgment at home. And leave the judgment at home. Exactly. And then, of course, self-efficacy. I think with the openness um, to explore and experience things has a lot to do with um, experiencing new foods mm-hmm. in different cultures because there's some aspects of different cultures and their food that they eat mm-hmm. that might seem gross to some cultures. But then you try it, and it's delicious and amazing, and the only reason you thought it was gross is because you wouldn't leave that judgment at the door. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some things, you're allowed to not like things because you don't like them. Yeah. But judging something based solely because, solely on the fact that it's, quote, gross to you, mm-hmm. without actually trying it, especially if it's um, a food of a different, you know, culture, can be really problematic yeah. in the, your experience in, ex- um, in that cultural exchange. Yeah. And then the people who are welcoming you into their culture and showing you these things feel very put out. By the fact that you won't even give certain aspects of this a shot because of your own ethnocentrism. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you, but also I'm not going to eat guinea pig. Honey, they're too cute. (laughs) I can't eat guinea pig. (laughs) Or like I would never be able to eat a dog either. Those things are fair. I think I'd be willing to try guinea pig. I don't think I could handle dog. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. They're too cute. But that's so, a me thing. That's not a... I don't judge those cultures for eating those things. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I... I, that's, I think that's the biggest difference is I don't want to eat this because I can't. Yeah. And then uh, there was another article that I was looking at um, by Ferdinand Bachner. Uh, Social difficulty in a foreign culture, an empirical analysis of culture shock. And in this one, they discuss elements of cultural differences such as the difference between Western and Eastern cultures as opposed to a Western and another Western culture. Individual differences, such as uh, education, cognitive ability, and age. And sojourn experience, such as aid offered in assimilating, whether the sojourn was taken willingly, and how much time the traveler had to prepare. These are all aspects as well that can impact the kind of culture shock that you experience. So... Um, and as far as, like, whether the sojourn was taken willingly, that's, like, you know, refugees. If you're kind of forced to, to leave and have to assimilate to a new culture as opposed to taking a trip. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, again, those are all kind of, it, it makes sense when mm-hmm. you think about it, right? So, um, as far as the consequences of culture shock and why it's important, particularly with the globalization and uh, as our world gets smaller, right? I mean, that's our goal here. Make your world a little smaller. Yeah. Which means that we're bringing you culture shock. Here you go. Warmed up on the platter. <laughs> um, so something of note, uh, in the early years of the Peace Corps, volunteers frequently had to be repatriated early due to their culture shock symptoms. So, and obviously they've gotten better at dealing with that and preparing Peace Corps volunteers so that that's less of a problem. But it goes to show you that how bad this can get, that it can be so bad that they have to send you home early. Right. And that is still often a problem with exchange programs. I know we had students that left and went home early because the culture shock was too intense. Uh, so. So it's not your fault. It's not your fault. <laughs> it's not your fault. But it is important to prepare for it and to um, make sure that you, when you notice it, that you Deal with it, right? Uh, It can have major implications for mental health, particularly exacerbating previously existing mental health problems. Uh, And I think that that's something important to note as well, that I didn't realize until much later that reverse culture shock was having a huge impact on my mental health issues. And none of my therapists ever brought up culture shock. Despite the fact that they all knew that I'd just gotten back from a year-long exchange in Germany. And I expressed some of these concerns that, like, I felt cut off from these people that had become so important to me. That I felt isolated and 
all of that, none of my therapists brought up culture shock. And I kind of wonder if that's something that should be more widely considered, you know, aspects of culture shock and the the compounding effects that they can have on mental health. Absolutely. <laughs> nothing. I have nothing to add. You're, you're saying it so succinctly and I agree with everything. Like, I agree completely. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Awesome. Two thumbs. Yeah. Way up. Sweet. Uh, success of the travel experience. So severe culture shock is obviously going to hinder your ability to fully embrace the culture. It's going to... It'll change the experience you've had. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, the more success you have with travel, the easier that culture shock might become. Especially if you, like we said, you've prepped in advance and now you've entered the culture, you're experiencing it, so you're, you know better for next time, both about yourself and the culture you're entering. Right. Business implications. Uh, so uh, with business people traveling more and more often, they're being exposed to cultures and culture shock more and more frequently, which, again, can have a severe impact on your mental health. And for business people specifically, it can have an impact on your ability to be at the top of your game while you're negotiating, uh, you know, business stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Neither of us are business people, so we don't actually know what you negotiate on these uh, meetings, but, you know. Something to be aware of that it can hinder your, your work if you're not adequately dealing with culture shock. Uh, it can also enforce feelings of fear or anger towards people of other cultures, particularly if you never reach that acceptance and um, adaptation phase. Because if you just enter the crisis stage and then bail out, then you're going to be left with those negative feelings. Right. Yeah. Yeah, having that anger and resentment towards your host culture, and if you can never resolve those feelings, then it can absolutely lead to feelings of anger towards just general other cultures. Yeah. Yeah. It can contribute to that mindset as well. Right. Yeah. And then I mentioned earlier refugees. Um, We seem to have a lot of situations around the world. uh, And it seems to be increasing. I don't know the stats on that, so don't hold me to that. But just by paying attention to the news, it feels like it has been increasing in recent years. And as we have more refugees... There are more people being forced into these situations, which is going to drastically increase the level of their culture shock. And I think that programs to potentially educate refugees about these symptoms and what they're stemming from could ease those situations and those transitions. So how to deal with culture shock. Uh, The ABC method uh, has specific ways to deal with each aspect. So for effective problems, uh, stress management skills are taught. Uh, The behavior aspect is usually pre-trip preparation, learning the language, things like that. And the cognitive piece is aided by improving self-esteem and establishing intergroup harmony. So the more you feel like you're part of the group and the more that you feel settled with your own within your own skin the easier that that aspect is going to be that all makes perfect sense i know it's funny reading through this because it's so hard to make that jump when you don't know any of this but then once you read it you're like this all seems perfectly logical you're like oh yeah (laughs) duh Uh, common sense i guess (laughs) but when you're experiencing it you're just like i don't know why i'm sleeping all day what is happening (laughs) why have i been feeling so fatigued and alone lately (laughs) but then you you find out all this stuff and you're like oh duh (laughs) um talk therapy is always obviously a good option for any problem that you may have i highly encourage everyone to get therapy yes go to therapy do it woo um pre-tip trip prep Language learning, researching the culture and customs, practicing open-mindedness. Those are all good things. It's my favorite part. The the pre-trip prep. It's my favorite part. I mean, traveling part is great, too. But, like, 
reading and doing research and... Because you get so excited. I get so excited about it all. It's so fun. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite things is learning about, like, the common scams. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, but I really like it because then I feel like I'm in on the secret. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah. I think that it's just important that when you're planning your trip, you don't just plan the hotels and the excursions you're going to do, but you look into... You know, what are, like, what is the culture like? What should I know? What are the customs? How do you greet people? All that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think that'll help, you know, once you're there. I mean, no, this is the pre-trip prep. But once you're there, if you can watch people, how they interact when they first show, enter a shop, that can really help with your own experiences. Yeah. Because, or if, try and find videos on it. You know, you can watch other people do these experiences for you, and you can learn from it. Yeah, that's Very a good helpful. idea. And particularly because there's videos of everything on the internet. You can find it. Yeah. Trust me, you'll, you can find it. Uh, take care of yourself. It's important to make sure you are getting enough sleep, that you're eating well, that you're exercising regularly. Making new friends is very important. Making new friends that are experiencing what you are is a, a good tool and a good way to cope. But it's also very important to make friends within the host culture so that you can adapt to it more quickly. Because if all of your friends are having the same problems you are and nobody has the solutions, not, you know, not helpful. Avoid idealizing life at home. No. I feel like I'm really bad at this, though. Like, the second that I leave home, I'm like, but home is so great! <laughs> Meanwhile, and as much as I love, you know, our hometown and everything, mm-hmm. there are aspects where I'm like, oh, this is so great. I'm so glad to not be at home right now because I get to experience this instead. Our area is a really great area. It it truly is. But I'm just, I'm so bad about when I'm there. I'm like, oh God, like as much as as I love it here, I just don't feel like it's the best place for me for these reasons. And then I leave and I'm like, all I want to do is go back. (laughs) I remember like coming to your house for like dinner or something one night and we were just hanging out and talking. You're like, gosh, I really feel like, you know, I don't belong here. Like, I really should find my place somewhere else. And then we're, we're doing this, and you're like, God, I can't wait to go home. I feel like I'll belong there. I'm like, what? What? That's not, f- <laughs> That's not fair. I think I'm really, really bad at idealizing life at home when I'm feeling the culture shock. Particularly because culture shock is so uncomfortable, and home is so comfortable because you know how to do all the things, and it's like, it's just easier. Yes. I just want it to be easy for a minute. You know, like it's, I think it's hard because when you're in this experience, it doesn't let up. Like you're dealing with the difficulty just 24 seven because you're here now and that's, it is what it is. Every step of everything is just slightly more difficult than before. And so often I'm like, oh God, what I wouldn't give for just one day where I could just chill and not have to worry about all of these things and worry about how the bus system works and worry about how to explain myself to the person in the store that doesn't speak my language and worry about how I'm going to get a haircut for my cousin's wedding because I can't talk to any of the hairstylists. You just start thinking, oh my god, it's so easy at home. Yeah, Man, I miss the way that this happened. Man, I miss that cafe that I used to go to all the time. You know, you miss your habits and the things that you love doing and you kind of forget about all of the (laughs) <laughs> the the things that were not perfect. Right. So uh, get involved. Anytime that you can join a club or volunteer or go to community events. Take classes, like Take rock classes. climbing classes. Yes. Or something to that effect. We did the rock climbing thing, which yeah. was way fun. Yeah. But yeah, do some type, join a gym or some type of dance class. Something that gets you involved in the community. Yeah. You want to... You know, establish your life in that place. That's going to help you feel more at home. As opposed to a tourist on vacation that doesn't belong there. (laughs) Right. And most importantly, you have to accept how you're feeling. Trying to deny it or condemn yourself for it is just going to make it worse. Another reason that this is important in terms of globalization is that culture shock can occur in short trips as well. Particularly if you haven't traveled much, then it's really easy to experience those culture shock shock symptoms very, very quickly. There's also this aspect of symbolic interactionism that drives culture shock and the experience of it. And this kind of goes towards what we were talking about with Dave and Nancy with that uncanniness and that sort of just subtle differences. The way that this works is that people act 
toward things based on understood meanings. And those are developed based on interactions. And people interpret them to like return to that first premise. So as you are existing in your world and people react to certain things in a certain way, you develop a understanding of that symbolically and what that means. And that's what we talk about context, right? The same thing can have a completely different context in a different place because the symbolic interactionism, it develops independently in each location. That's how you get things like what Dave was saying, where in London, they would greet him, y'all right? Mm-hmm. Y'all right, Dave? And in the States, we perceive that as like, a, oh, are you all right? Right. You know, or like, you actually, are you okay? You're genuinely concerned. Yes. Whereas it's just a greeting in London. And that's that symbolic interactionism at work where those two things have... Uh, developed these very different symbolic meanings due to the isolation of the cultures. Mm -hmm. And that's how you get this culture shock and that unsettling feeling is just you you act based on the symbolic interactionism that you have developed over the course of your life. And then when people react to that differently or where it's your understood meaning is different in a new place, then you're off kilter and it's very, very deeply ingrained and it makes it very, very difficult for you to understand how to act within that culture. Yeah, all I can think of is like at home when you'd say, oh, how are you? The person says, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You walk away. Mm -hmm. That is the interaction. (laughs) Where in some places someone, the you're all right. But if someone says, oh, how are you? Sometimes you get the download of their day. Mm -hmm. And at home you're just kind of like, no. You did it wrong. You did it wrong. (laughs) And I've seen a lot of people, like, complaining about that aspect of our culture where they're like, don't ask if you don't want an answer. Yeah. Whereas we are like, we ask this, we have a script to follow. It's polite. We have a script to follow. This is being polite. Also, this aspect of the symbolic interactionism, because it does develop within very small groupings, I mean, you can develop an entire set of, of symbols and meanings behind different terms and words within... You know, a group of 10 people that just spend a lot of time together. Yeah, the micro level. Yes, the mi- yeah, exactly. So the result of that means that we can face culture shock in any situation we are, where we are experiencing a different culture of any kind, even on that micro level. You know, if there's this club that has been established for a very long time and they have this very deep level of symbolic interactionism and you enter that, then now you have this whole set of symbols and meanings to decipher and understand, and that can contribute to a level of culture shock. It's probably not going to be very extreme because you're not experiencing a, a you know, international new culture where there's a different language and all of that. But it can result in some of these symptoms because you are experiencing a different subculture. Yeah. So that's why ultimately... This stuff applies to everyone, and I think that it really should be a lot more widely taught and understood than it is. All right, neighbors, thanks for joining us today. If you heard something you liked, please support the show by hitting the subscribe button and reviewing us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find takeaways from today's show in the show notes, and you can find more information about the podcast and show notes for each episode on carsoncosta.com forward slash podcast. Please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions. No, seriously, please do. We would love to start having a mailbag section of the show. You can email us at nto at carsoncosta.com or find us on Facebook at ntopod. We would love to hear from you. We will not be back next week because I'm flying back stateside for my cousin's wedding. Congratulations to Thomas and Katie. But you can catch us on Tuesday, February 7th to keep making your world a little smaller.